0: Chapter 53 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains, by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Departure of Mr. Hunt and the Beaver, Precautions at the Factory, Detachment to the Willamette, Gloomy Apprehensions, Arrival of Mackenzie, Affairs at the Shahaptan, News of War, Dismay of McDougall, Determination to Abandon Astoria. Departure of Mackenzie for the interior, adventure at the rapids, visit to the ruffians of Wishram, a perilous situation, meeting with Metavish and his party, arrival at the Shahaptan, plundered caches, determination of the wintering partners not to leave the country, arrival of Clark among the Nez Perces, the affair of the silver goblet, hanging of an Indian, arrival of the wintering partners at astoria determination of the wintering partners not to leave the country after the departure of the different detachments or brigades as they are called by the fur traders the beaver prepared for her voyage along the coast and her visit to the russian establishment at new archangel where she was to carry supplies It had been determined in the Council of Partners at Astoria that Mr. Hunt should embark in this vessel for the purpose of acquainting himself with the coasting trade, and of making arrangements with the commander of the Russian post, and that he should be re-landed in October at Astoria by the beaver on her way to the Sandwich Islands and Canton. The beaver put to sea in the month of August, her departure and that of the various brigades left the fortress of astoria but slightly garrisoned this was soon perceived by some of the indian tribes and the consequence was increased insolence of deportment and a disposition to hostility it was now the fishing season when the tribes from the northern coast drew into the neighbourhood of the columbia these were warlike and perfidious in their dispositions and noted for their attempts to surprise trading ships among them were numbers of the nuitis the ferocious tribe that massacred the crew of the tonquin great precautions therefore were taken at the factory to guard against surprise while these dangerous intruders were in the vicinity galleries were constructed inside of the palisades the bastions were heightened and sentinels were posted day and night fortunately the chinooks and other tribes resident in the vicinity manifested the most pacific disposition old concomly who held sway over them was a shrewd calculator he was aware of the advantages of having the whites as neighbors and allies and of the consequence derived to himself and his people from acting as intermediate traders between them and the distant tribes he had therefore by this time become a firm friend of the Astorians, and formed a kind of barrier between them and the hostile intruders from the north the summer of eighteen twelve passed away without any of the hostilities that had been apprehended the nuitis and other dangerous visitors to the neighbourhood finished their fishing and returned home and the inmates of the factory once more felt secure from attack it now became necessary to guard against other evils the season of scarcity arrived which commences in october and lasts until the end of january to provide for the support of the garrison the shallop was employed to forage about the shores of the river a number of the men also under the command of some of the clerks were sent to quarter themselves on the bank of the Willamette, the Noma of lewis and clark a fine river which disembogues itself into the columbia about sixty miles above astoria the country bordering on the river is finely diversified with prairies and hills and forests of oak ash maple and cedar it abounded at that time with elk and deer and the streams were well stocked with beaver here the party after supplying their own wants were enabled to pack up quantities of dried meat and send it by canoes to astoria the month of october elapsed without the return of the beaver november december january passed away and still nothing was seen or heard of her gloomy apprehensions now began to be entertained she might have been wrecked in the course of her coasting voyage or surprised like the tonquin by some of the treacherous tribes of the north no one indulged more in these apprehensions than Macdougall, who had now the charge of the establishment he no longer evinced the bustling confidence and buoyancy which once characterized him command seemed to have lost its charms for him or rather he gave way to the most abject despondency decrying the whole enterprise magnifying every untoward circumstance and foreboding nothing but evil while in this moody state he was surprised on the sixteenth of january by the sudden appearance of mackenzie way-worn and weather-beaten by a long wintry journey from his post on the shahapton and with a face the very frontispiece for a volume of misfortune mackenzie had been heartily disgusted and disappointed at his post it was in the midst of the tushapaz a powerful and warlike nation divided into many tribes under different chiefs who possessed innumerable horses but not having turned their attention to beaver trapping, had no furs to offer. According to Mackenzie, they were but a rascally tribe, from which we may infer that they were prone to consult their own interests more than comported with the interests of a greedy Indian trader. Game being scarce, he was obliged to rely for the most part on horse flesh for subsistence and the indians discovering his necessities adopted a policy usual in civilized trade and raised the price of horses to an exorbitant rate knowing that he and his men must eat or die in this way the goods he had brought to trade for beaver skins were likely to be bartered for horse-flesh and all the proceeds devoured upon the spot he had dispatched trappers in various directions But the country round did not offer more beaver than his own station in this emergency he began to think of abandoning his unprofitable post sending his goods to the posts of clark and david stewart who could make a better use of them as they were in a good beaver country and returning with his party to astoria to seek some better destination with this view he repaired to the post of mr clark to hold a consultation While the two partners were in conference in Mr. Clark's wigwam, an unexpected visitor came bustling in upon them. This was Mr. John George McTavish, a partner of the Northwest Company, who had charge of the rival trading posts established in that neighborhood. Mr. McTavish was the delighted messenger of bad news. He had been to Lake Winnipeg, where he received an express from canada containing the declaration of war and president madison's proclamation which he handed with the most officious complaisance to messrs clark and mackenzie he moreover told them that he had received a fresh supply of goods from the northwest posts on the other side of the rocky mountains and was prepared for vigorous opposition to the establishment of the american company he capped the climax of this obliging but belligerent intelligence by informing them that the armed ship isaac todd was to be at the mouth of the columbia about the beginning of march to get possession of the trade of the river and that he was ordered to join her there at that time the receipt of this news determined mackenzie he immediately returned to the shahaptan broke up his establishment deposited his goods in cash and hastened with all his people to astoria the intelligence thus brought completed the dismay of macdougall and seemed to produce a complete confusion of mind he held a council of war with mackenzie at which some of the clerks were present but of course had no votes they gave up all hope of maintaining their post at astoria the beaver had probably been lost they could receive no aid from the united states as all the ports would be blockaded from england nothing could be expected but hostility it was determined therefore to abandon the establishment in the course of the following spring and return across the rocky mountains in pursuance of this resolution they suspended all trade with the natives except for provisions having already more peltries than they could carry away and having need of all the goods for the clothing and subsistence of their people during the remainder of their sojourn and on their journey across the mountains this intention of abandoning astoria was however kept secret from the men lest they should at once give up all labour and become restless and insubordinate In the meantime, Mackenzie set off for his post at the Shehapton to get his goods from the caches and buy horses and provisions with them for the caravan across the mountains. He was charged with dispatches from MacDougall to Messrs. Stewart and Clark, appraising them of the intended migration that they might make timely preparations mackenzie was accompanied by two of the clerks mr john reed the irishman and mr alfred seaton of new york they embarked in two canoes manned by seventeen men and ascended the river without any incident of importance until they arrived in the eventful neighbourhood of the rapids they made the portage of the narrows and the falls early in the afternoon and having partaken of a scanty meal had now a long evening on their hands on the opposite side of the river lay the village of wishram of freebooting renown here lived the savages who had robbed and maltreated reed when bearing his tin box of dispatches it was known that the rifle of which he was despoiled was retained as a trophy at the village mackenzie offered to cross the river and demand the rifle if any one would accompany him it was a hare-brained project for these villages were noted for the ruffian character of their inhabitants yet two volunteers promptly stepped forward alfred seaton the clerk and joe de la pierre the cook the trio soon reached the opposite side of the river on landing they freshly primed their rifles and pistols a path winding for about a hundred yards among rocks and crags led to the village no notice seemed to be taken of their approach not a solitary being man woman or child greeted them the very dogs those noisy pests of an indian town kept silence on entering the village a boy made his appearance and pointed to a house of larger dimensions than the rest they had to stoop to enter it as soon as they had passed the threshold the narrow passage behind them was filled up by a sudden rush of indians who had before kept out of sight mackenzie and his companions found themselves in a rude chamber of about twenty-five feet long and twenty wide a bright fire was blazing at one end near which sat the chief about sixty years old a large number of indians wrapped in buffalo robes were squatted in rows three deep forming a semicircle around three sides of the room a single glance around sufficed to show them the grim and dangerous assembly into which they had intruded and that all retreat was cut off by the mass which blocked up the entrance THE CHIEF POINTED TO THE VACANT SIDE OF THE ROOM OPPOSITE TO THE DOOR, AND MOTIONED FOR THEM TO TAKE THEIR SEATS. THEY COMPLIED. A DEAD PAUSE ENSUED. THE GRIM WARRIORS AROUND SAT LIKE STATUES, EACH MUFFLED IN HIS ROBE, WITH HIS FIERCE EYES BENT ON THE INTRUDERS. THE LATTER FELT THEY WERE IN A PERILOUS PREDICAMENT. KEEP YOUR EYES ON THE CHIEF WHILE I AM ADDRESSING HIM said mackenzie to his companions should he give any sign to his band shoot him and make for the door mackenzie advanced and offered the pipe of peace to the chief but it was refused he then made a regular speech explaining the object of their visit and proposing to give in exchange for the rifle two blankets an axe some beads and tobacco when he had done the chief rose began to address him in a low voice but soon became loud and violent he ended by working himself up into a furious passion he upbraided the white men for their sordid conduct in passing and repassing through their neighbourhood without giving them a blanket or any other article of goods merely because they had no furs to barter in exchange and he alluded with menaces of vengeance to the death of the indian killed by the whites in the skirmish at the falls matters were verging to a crisis it was evident the surrounding savages were only waiting a signal from the chief to spring upon their prey mackenzie and his companions had gradually risen on their feet during the speech and had brought their rifles to a horizontal position the barrels resting in their left hands the muzzle of mackenzie's piece was within three feet of the speaker's heart they cocked their rifles the click of the locks for a moment suffused the dark cheek of the savage and there was a pause they coolly but promptly advanced to the door the indians fell back in awe and suffered them to pass the sun was just setting as they emerged from this dangerous den they took the precaution to keep along the tops of the rocks as much as possible on their way back to the canoe and reached their camp in safety congratulating themselves on their escape and feeling no desire to make a second visit to the grim warriors of wishram mackenzie and his party resumed their journey the next morning at some distance above the falls of the columbia they observed two bark canoes filled with white men coming down the river to the full chant of a set of canadian voyageurs a parley ensued it was a detachment of north-westers under the command of mr george mctavish bound full of song and spirit to the mouth of the columbia to await the arrival of the isaac todd mackenzie and mctavish came to a halt and landing encamped for the night the voyageurs of either party hailed each other as brothers and old comrades and they mingled together as if united by one common interest instead of belonging to rival companies and trading under hostile flags in the morning they proceeded on their different ways in style corresponding to their different fortunes the one toiling painfully against the stream the other sweeping down gaily with the current mackenzie arrived safely at his deserted post on the Shahapton, but found to his chagrin that his caches had been discovered and rifled by the indians here was a dilemma for on the stolen goods he had depended to purchase horses of the indians he sent out men in all directions to endeavour to discover the thieves and despatched mr reed to the posts of messrs clark and david stuart with the letters of mr mcdougall the resolution announced in these letters to break up and depart from astoria was condemned by both clark and stuart these two gentlemen had been very successful at their posts and considered it rash and pusillanimous to abandon on the first difficulty an enterprise of such great cost and ample promise they made no arrangements therefore for leaving the country but acted with a view to the maintenance of their new and prosperous establishments the regular time approached when the partners of the interior posts were to rendezvous at the mouth of the walla walla on their way to astoria with the peltries they had collected mr clark accordingly packed all his furs on twenty-eight horses and leaving a clerk and four men to take charge of the post departed on the twenty-fifth of may with the residue of his force on the thirtieth he arrived at the confluence of the pavillon and lewis rivers where he had left his barge and canoes in the guardianship of the old pierced nosed chieftain that dignitary had acquitted himself more faithfully to his charge than mr clark had expected and the canoes were found in a very tolerable order some repairs were necessary and while they were making the party encamped close by the village having had repeated and vexatious proofs of the pilfering propensities of this tribe during his former visit mr clark ordered that a wary eye should be kept upon them he was a tall good-looking man and somewhat given to pomp and circumstance which made him an object of note in the eyes of the wondering savages he was stately too in his appointments and had a silver goblet or drinking-cup out of which he would drink with a magnificent air and then lock it up in a large garde van which accompanied him in his travels and stood in his tent this goblet had originally been sent as a present from mr astor to mr mackay the partner who had unfortunately been blown up in the tonquin as it reached astoria after the departure of that gentleman it had remained in the possession of mr clark a silver goblet was too glittering a prize not to catch the eye of a pierced nose it was like the shining tin case of john reed such a wonder had never been seen in the land before the indians talked about it to one another they marked the care with which it was deposited in the guardy van like a relic in its shrine and concluded that it must be a great medicine that night mr clark neglected to lock up his treasure in the morning the sacred casket was open the precious relic gone clark was now outrageous all the past vexations that he had suffered from this pilfering community rose to mind and he threatened that unless the goblet was promptly returned he would hang the thief should he eventually discover him the day passed away however without the restoration of the cup at night sentinels were secretly posted about the camp with all their vigilance a pierced nose contrived to get into the camp unperceived and to load himself with booty it was only on his retreat that he was discovered and taken at daybreak the culprit was brought to trial and promptly convicted he stood responsible for all the spoliations of the camp the precious goblet among the number and mr clark passed sentence of death upon him a gibbet was accordingly constructed of oars the chief of the village and his people were assembled and the culprit was produced with his legs and arms pinioned clark then made a harangue he reminded the tribe of the benefits he had bestowed upon them during his former visits and the many thefts and other misdeeds which he had overlooked the prisoner especially had always been peculiarly well treated by the white men but had repeatedly been guilty of pilfering he was to be punished for his own misdeeds and as a warning to his tribe the indians now gathered around mr clark and interceded for the culprit they were willing he should be punished severely but implored that his life might be spared. The companions, too, of Mr. Clark considered the sentence too severe, and advised him to mitigate it, but he was inexorable. He was not, naturally, a stern or cruel man, but from his boyhood he had lived in the Indian country among Indian traders, and held the life of a savage extremely cheap he was moreover a firm believer in the doctrine of intimidation. Farnham, a clerk, a tall green mountain boy from Vermont, who had been robbed of a pistol, acted as executioner. The signal was given, and the poor, pierced nose resisting, struggling, and screaming in the most frightful manner, was launched into eternity." The Indians stood round, gazing in silence and mute awe, but made no attempt to oppose the execution, nor testified any emotion when it was over. They locked up their feelings within their bosoms, until an opportunity should arrive to gratify them with a bloody act of vengeance. To say nothing of the needless severity of this act, its impolicy, was glaringly obvious mr mcclennan and three men were to return to the post with the horses their loads having been transferred to the canoes they would have to pass through a tract of country infested by this tribe who were all horsemen and hard riders and might pursue them to take vengeance for the death of their comrade McLennan, however was a resolute fellow and made light of all dangers He and his three men were present at the execution, and set off as soon as life was extinct in the victim, but, to use the words of one of their comrades, they did not let the grass grow under the heels of their horses, as they clattered out of the pierced-nose country, and were glad to find themselves in safety at the post mr clark and his party embarked about the same time in their canoes and early on the following day reached the mouth of the walla walla where they found messrs stewart and mackenzie awaiting them the latter having recovered part of the goods stolen from his cash clark informed them of the signal punishment he had inflicted on the pierced nose evidently expecting to excite their admiration by such a hearty act of justice performed in the very midst of the indian country but was mortified at finding it strongly censured as inhuman unnecessary and likely to provoke hostilities the parties thus united formed a squadron of two boats and six canoes with which they performed their voyage in safety down the river and arrived at astoria on the twelfth of june bringing with them a valuable stock of peltries About ten days previously, the brigade which had been quartered on the banks of the Willamette had arrived with numerous packs of beaver, the result of a few months' sojourn on that river. These were the first fruits of the enterprise, gathered by men as yet mere strangers in the land, but they were such as to give substantial grounds for sanguine anticipations of profit, when the country should be more completely explored and the trade established. End of chapter 53